0: Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit and has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You may be seated.
1: So if you've been with us this summer, you know that we're currently in a sermon series in the book of Joshua. This morning we'll be taking a break from that series and we'll be looking at the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open there with me. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. So the title of the sermon is called Peace with God. This title is taken from what we see here in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. This word peace This is not a word that we use in our everyday conversations or um, we're not thinking about it. But we see it in news headlines. We see that this country is working towards a peace plan or peace deal with that country or countries are negotiating peace terms. For the most part, governments are either, either actively working towards peace or trying to prevent war. If there's no peace, then we know there are consequences. And although we can reach peace in this world for a time, we know that it's something that never lasts. Peace in this world is fragile. A quick look at social media and you'll see how many people are at war with each other. And so we've come to accept this as an everyday norm that we live in. Or maybe thinking more practically, some of our relationships that we have. Am I at peace with my spouse? Am I at peace with my parents? Am I at peace with my brother or sister? Am I at peace with my boss? So we're all actively thinking about our relational standings and, wh- and how we're trying to balance these things in our lives. And naturally, when there's not peace, there's hostility. And so anxiety rises in our hearts. But there's a strong contrast between the peace we experience in this world and the peace that Paul is writing about in Romans chapter 5. And it's in this chapter where we see the great or chief implication of the Christian gospel, that is, peace with God. So I'd like us to see three things this morning. First, what it means to have peace with God. Second, how our peace with God opens access to his presence. And third, the price that was paid to have peace with God. So first, what it means to have peace with God. Look at the first word in verse 1. Therefore. So we can stop there. Since we're jumping right into this chapter, let me share what Paul has been saying up to then. In chapter 1 and 2, he's explained what the serious problem is. Sin. And in chapter three, he tells us of the good news of what God has done to rescue us from this problem of sin. Paul points back to Abraham in chapter four to show that he's not inventing something new, but it's been of uh, something of old. And from chapters five to eight, Paul tells us of the implications of what it means to be justified by faith. So looking back at verse one, since we have been justified by faith, before we can understand what it means to be justified, what it means to have peace with God, we have to understand what it means to be justified by faith. So what does Paul mean by this phrase? Well, back in chapter 3, Paul writes, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. So we've all turned our backs on God. And the penalty for our sin is death and separation from God. So we are separated from this good God because of our sin. But God was incredibly gracious He he sent his only son, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, and he lived a perfect life that we could have never lived. Then he died in our place, a death that we deserve because of our sin, so that when we believe in Christ, our sin is paid for by the death of Christ. And It's not only paid for, but we're clothed in the perfect righteousness of Christ. So when someone believes the gospel of Jesus Christ, immediately they are justified. Notice in verse 1, Since we have been, or as some of your Bible translations say, having been, this refers to an action in the past, to something that's already been accomplished, something that's been finished. And the work of Christ is finished, and this is the heart of the Christian message. One way to think about justification is, just as if we had always obeyed God, it's just as if we had never sinned, never spoken unkindly, just as if we had loved God above all things, Because that's the righteous life that Jesus lived, a life that we could have never lived. Many of you recently moved into this area because a job that hired you. You, Maybe your resume really stood out and you had a really good interview with your hiring manager. We understand that our resume is important and it's a means by which we market ourselves or sell ourselves with others. We can add achievements like team player or works well with others or problem solver. But there's nothing good in us that would make us acceptable before God. So many confuse that Christian, that being a Christian is about being a good person. Or being a better person. Or being a religious person. The message of the gospel is not based on your standards of living or your upright ways. No, it's a message of grace to sinners who are undeserving of forgiveness. So maybe you're here this morning thinking... My sins aren't that bad or there's a lot of people worse than me Or i'm really not hurting anyone with what i'm doing To think this way is to miss the depth of your sin. It's a failure to see how you need god And it's this and it's this is where our understanding of sin needs to deepen The more we see our sin for what it is Truly the more we will grow in gratitude For our justification and so for me it's more humbling the longer that I follow Christ, the worse my sin seems to me, the more disturbing it becomes. It's in, it's in these moments that I see how much in need of God that I am. And Paul is a prime example of this. We often describe Paul as maybe one of the most godliest Christians to live. In one of his other letters, he described himself as a chief of sinners. Paul knew his sin deeply, and it is by knowing the depth of our sin that we grow in gratitude for what Christ has done and it keeps us seeing our great need of God. So what does it mean to have peace with God? Well, peace with God is a permanent peace. Once we have peace with God, that peace is ours forever. And it's, to have, and it's by having this peace that we can be confident in our standing with him. Our peace with God is never based on our life or obedience. Rather, it's good news. It's a message that we are declared righteous once we believe in him. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. But the righteousness of Christ. So by having the peace of God, we have also obtained access to his presence. Let's look at the second point: how our peace with God opens access to his presence. Look at verse 2. Through him we we have also obtained access by faith. So the peace with God does not merely mean the absence of conflict or a type of passive peace, but it's access to God's presence. That's why Paul follows this by saying in verse 2. It's into grace in which we stand. He doesn't say that we walk through grace. We don't move on. We stand. We never move on from the gospel. We stand in grace. And this is a standing that can't be taken away or removed by anyone or anything. In chapter 8, Paul says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things to come, nor power, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's in this standing with the Lord that we, that is never shaken. And this is why we can sing songs like, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. So continuing on, our justification also gives us a heart that worships God. We see three things in which we can worship God in this passage. We can worship God for this peace that we have with him. And second, we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So that is, we can rejoice in the future promises found in Christ. And then third, look at verse three. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. So sufferings can't diminish the hope that the gospel brings, as sometimes we think. Or when we experience sufferings, it's not a rejection from God, but it's designed by our Heavenly Father. I know that I sometimes mistake the Christian walk as being an easy road. No matter how many books I've read or sermons I've listened to, nothing can speed up my Christian walk like trials and sufferings can And there's a molding process that happens that's unique when we endure suffering or challenging seasons of life. It's this hope of the gospel that we as Christians can truly have a hope in the midst of our sufferings. And I know many of you here have experienced that in your lives. You can attest to the maturing and growing process as being a painful and an unpleasant one at times. Look at verse five. And hope does not put us to shame, Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Here, Paul is not talking about our love for God. He's talking about God's love for us. And this love of God is no small portion. It's an outpouring of divine love. And as we've seen, our justification brings peace with God. So we were able to rejoice in our suffering and this verse continues to pile it on. God lavishes love on us. Or as Paul better says it, it's been poured out into our hearts. God does not hold back on his love. I remember times in my life where I've experienced close and deep friendships. But there can be times when it gets cold. Maybe the brotherly affection that once was there is gone. Many factors play into those things. Distance, time, shifting seasons of life. But God's God's love is not what you and I experience. It's, it's love that's not held back. It's different. It's set apart. God's love doesn't waver. It doesn't fizzle out like some of our friendships do. And John Piper helped me see a few things here in this verse, in verse five. To quote him, he said, there's a difference in a tense between has been poured into and has been given to us. The has been given to us means the spirit is given to us once for all and has been poured into means it can continue happening. So the outpouring of God's love can come again and again. And Piper hits it spot on. And I'll be honest with you that I had not thought about God's love in that way, that it continues, God continues to pour out his love on a continual basis to us. It's not a a small trickling or half-hearted love. No human being can measure up to God's love. No one can love like God loves. So in verse five, we also see that God's love is expressed through the Holy Spirit being given to us believers. The result of being justified by faith, it opens peace with God, and now we can experience God's outpouring love and experience God through the Holy Spirit. There are times in my life where I don't feel God's love, or many things can easily distract my heart or discourage me to forget this great love of God that I've received. The Bible acknowledges the reality you and I live in, we face the consequences of the fall on a daily basis. And it's when these times hit us that we have an opportunity to come before God and remember the great salvation that we have and that He continues to pour out His love on us. And to remember that the Holy Spirit is given to us. We can be confident the Holy Spirit will not leave us despite our many stumblings in life. So recently, I attended my baseball coach's um, funeral. It was unexpected, and at that funeral, people shared stories about you know, uh, being with him and how, it was, how they experienced uh, being in his presence. And as they were sharing these stories, it reminded me of times back in high school when you know, he was my coach, and you and I have people in our lives in which we can experience their presence for a while, but it goes away. But we can remember that when you and I face discouragements in life, God's presence, the Holy Spirit will not leave. His presence won't go away. So now let's look at the last point of the sermon, the price that was paid to have peace with God. As we touched on earlier, nothing you or I could have done to earn this, there's nothing you or I could have done to earn this peace with God. And Paul sees it fit in to return to the condition you and I were born into in verses six and 10. Paul describes that condition, he says in verse six, while we were still weak, powerless, we were ungodly meaning we were anti-god while we were still sinners opposed and against god so here we see we're described in two categories the first one is sinners those who are captive to sin second we're seen as enemies those who are out of a right relationship with god so that's the condition that we're born into and that's our condition apart from christ that's our condition apart from his grace and and you and i are under the power of sin helpless and powerless And Paul is not concerned here by attempting to um, preserve anyone's pride here. So look at verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. So Paul is saying maybe you have a good friend or, or someone really important in your life who you would dare to die for. You, might have that, you, may have a peop, you may have a list of people in your, in your mind who you would sacrifice or give your life for. That might be a family member. That might be your spouse. That might be your children or a longtime friend. And we read stories in the news how people of noble courage uh, sacrificed their life for someone. But you and I know people that we would be very hesitant. We would be very slow to give our life for them. We would probably have to think about it for a while, or pray about it. And what, what Paul is doing here is he's pointing to the greatness of God's love because we were those types of people. We were those who were undeserving of this kind of love from God. So it's shocking, it's surprising, it's unexpected. And look at verse 8. But God, but God shows, he demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So there is nothing you or I could have done to earn God's love. Nothing good in us was meriting this love from God. And here in this passage, we see God's nature. Christ did not die for good people. Christ died for people who did evil, not good. He died for people who did not seek him. Christ died for people who were powerless to prove themselves of worthy. This runs contrary to the hearing that you may have said, you, you may have heard God helps those who who help themselves. Nothing can be farther from the truth. God rescues those who are utterly powerless and absolutely helpless. So maybe there was a time in your life where you had a position at work. Maybe you felt underqualified to perform the duties, and somehow you landed that job. You may have thought to yourself, I don't measure up, or I'm a phony. You and I try to hide our insecurities. We try to mask them with appropriate behaviors. You may have thought to yourself, if only others knew, what might they think of me? How might, would, would they think less of me? Or what might they do? And so in this, friends, God knows you. God knows the worst of you, yet it's in those moments that Christ died for you. In Christ, we can take confidence of God's unwavering love. And nothing can diminish or take this love from God. So recently, I became a dad to Jane. And it's been a lot of fun. And it's been a lot of work, too, as my wife, can, and my, my, my wife Emily, can attest to. Um, she will always be our daughter. And no matter what happens in life, uh, she's always going to be a part of the family. And nothing can change that. And much more, in Christ, we are God's children. Nothing can change or remove us from that status. And it's because of this incredible love from God that should make us profoundly humble as Christians. We are set by default to lift ourselves up above others. We compare our lives against one another, but we can't lift ourselves up before God. There's nothing you and I can boast about before God. So it is Christ that is, he is a source of our justification. He is a source of our peace with God. So it is the cross, his demonstration of love by sending his son to die. It is this cross and the good news of the gospel that should keep us humble. Have you ever doubted God's love for you? It's for this reason that we have these verses here. Look at verse 10. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more shall we be saved by his life. So, I want to point your attention uh, to the word here, reconciliation, in this verse. What does that word mean? Well, it means to be brought back into friendship with. Why was reconciliation needed? Because you and I were enemies of God. And as we've seen, this reconciliation is now ours because of what God has done, his love demonstrated through what he allowed the Lord Jesus to go through. He allowed his son to be mocked, to be beaten, to be spitted upon. He experienced the wrath of God that you and I deserved. But God did this not because you and I deserved it. He did this out of his marvelous and matchless love. And this is why we can be confident in his unwavering love to us. You and I have seen TV shows um, where they often depict God as being impersonal or distant not really involved with our lives. That might make for great TV, but nothing could be farther from the truth. We see God's character through this chapter, and not only this chapter, but throughout the entire Bible. No one is like our God. No No one offers love like our God. No one offers grace like our God. No one offers mercy like our God. No one offers peace like our God. So this reconciliation has brought us from estrangement to friendship. And now he's a gracious friend with whom we enjoy the most intimate access of friendship. Hear Jesus' words in John fifteen fifteen: No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I've called you friends. And you and I can too often miss out on this friendship with God, this intimate communion with him, when we don't draw near to him through prayer, confession, and reading his word. These things aren't merely spiritual disciplines and to view them only as that would be to miss out on this new standing we have with God because of Christ and this relationship with God. This is what we were created for. We were created for communion with God. We were designed to delight in our creator, not in the trivial things that we often um, seek and we can delight in our communion of God, with God because of the union that's been established with Christ. And this is why we ought to pray for a greater hunger for the scriptures, to meditate on them and cultivate a life of prayer and praise to God that helps us remember the great love which we received and continue to receive. Another means for communion with God is through the Lord's Supper. So here in a few moments, we're going to celebrate that ordinance commanded by the Lord Jesus. In the Gospel of John, we see that Jesus was about to go to his death and he gathered his disciples in the upper room which they had the Lord's Supper. And Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Friends, this morning, are you at peace with God? If not, come put your faith in Christ and experience this peace with him. Know that nothing can measure up to God's love. No object, no amount of money, no amount of item will ever measure up to the love that God demonstrated to us through his son. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks that we can see your glorious truths in it and we can see more of you. We thank you for the grace that you've displayed through your son dying on the cross for us we give you thanks that you have blessed us in christ and we pray that you would use our lives to proclaim this good news of the gospel we pray that you would help us live this word in our daily lives by the holy spirit we pray for a greater conviction of our sin and a greater help to seek that we need you and we pray this in christ's name amen